Welcome to Willoughby Hills. I'm Heath Rosella. Got a great show for you today. I am so excited for this one. I can't wait for you to hear it. Francisca Gajardo is my guest today. Francisca goes by Fran. She is the amazing designer behind the brand Yang, which stands for You Are the Next Generation. She's a fashion designer, and her whole thing is sustainable fashion. You're going to hear all about it later today, but uh, it's a really, really great conversation and one that I learned a ton from. So if you've been reading my newsletter, you may know that for the last year or so, I've been writing a lot about fashion. Um, Actually, starting about a year and a half ago, uh, I interviewed somebody who was in the middle of doing a no new clothes challenge. She went for an entire year without buying anything new. And we talked about what she was doing instead, a lot of clothing swaps with friends and borrowing clothes and things like that. Soon after that conversation, I decided to try it for myself. I just said, you know what? I'm done consuming clothing. I want to try taking a year off and see how I do. Now, I work from home a lot of the time. I spent a long part of my life buying lots and lots and lots of clothes. So I had stuff here. I didn't feel the need to consume really. And I have now gone more than a year, almost a year and a half at this point, probably. The most I bought, I bought one brand new shirt back in July of 2023. And I've bought, I think it's four pieces of used clothing from thrift stores. That's it. No socks, no underwear, no new shoes, no belts. Literally, I call it shopping within my closet and finding things that work for me. Now, other than saving me some money, Why is that important? Well, if you haven't been paying attention, I urge you to look up what's going on in the fashion industry right now. And I've written about this in my newsletter too. Uh, Fast fashion in particular, these these, uh, brands that quickly turn over designs and have new items in their store practically every day, H&M, Forever 21, Zara, places like that, they are producing way more clothing than any other clothing brand was even 10 or 20 years ago. And a lot of it is just getting worn once, twice, three times and being discarded. Sometimes it's getting donated, thinking that it's doing a good thing. Often it's being just thrown into a dumpster. But as you'll find out today from Fran, the clothes that we think we are donating, that we're hoping are going to, you know, get sold in a, in a thrift store right in our neighborhood. And, you know, maybe our neighbor can get some use out of our clothes that we've only worn once or twice, or maybe not at all. Those clothes often are not ending up in the thrift stores where we're donating them. They're actually getting shipped around the world and they are becoming a major environmental problem in a lot of other places in the global South. So Fran is from the northern part of Chile and we're going to talk about all of this today, a town called Iquique and it's at the edge of the Atacama Desert. Now you may have heard of the Atacama Desert because it has been in the headlines over the last couple of years because there was such a giant clothing dump there that it could be seen from space. It was all of these fashion brands from the global north. They would literally ship it in containers down to Iquique. Some of it would get sold in secondhand markets down there. But there was just such a volume of it that it ended up getting just set out in the desert. And because there was so little rainfall, it never disintegrated. It just kind of sat there. Now, the crazy thing is, this clothing dump no longer exists because it started to gain worldwide attention and the people behind it set fire to a lot of the clothes. And because so much of our clothes are made with polyester these days and other synthetic fibers, 
it became a major environmental issue to set it on fire as well. So Fran comes from that part of the world, near the Atacama Desert. She has been to these landfills. And what's interesting is that she took inspiration from these used clothing markets and these landfills and said, you know what? We don't need more clothes in the world. She's a fashion designer, and she's saying no new fabrics. She's saying, let's work with what we have. Let's repurpose it. And that is why I was so interested in talking to her today. And I I didn't even know going into this conversation just how amazingly awesome her point of view was going to be on all this. We're going to talk about what life is like in Iquique, why there's so much clothing there. We're going to talk about her inspiration as a fashion designer. But even beyond that, like it's one thing to have these really great ideas and make really interesting fashion, but it's art pieces, right? They're one-offs. Like They're beautiful. If I can afford it, I'll take it. I'm going to wear it to a fancy event maybe or to catch eyes on the street, but it's probably not my everyday street clothes. Like if somebody's hand sewing for hours and hours and hours and making these beautiful custom pieces, that's just the nature of it, right? It's going to be so expensive. So Fran is also trying to figure out how do we attack this problem from a consumer standpoint. People that are just spending you know, a couple of dollars for their clothing and buying it from these fast fashion brands, are there ways to bring sustainability into that, to bring reuse into that, to bring repurposing into that. So she's got some ideas around that as well. So really interesting conversation with Fran. I am so excited for it. And I've got to tell you, if this conversation interests you, I would go back and listen to my conversation with Amelia Pang as well. I talked to her maybe two or three years ago now on this podcast, but her expertise, Amelia's, was all around the supply side, manufacturing issues, mostly in China, although now that's spreading to Bangladesh and other parts of the world as well, where people are forced sometimes into labor, or if they're not forced, they're paid very, very low wages to do very manual work of making these clothes. Often there's kind of a laundering system where clothes are made by effectively slave labor, but then are passed through a system so that when there are audits done by Western brands, it appears as though it's sustainable. And then they're sold for cheap here in in the US and Europe in the global north. And ultimately, they end up in Chile, in Africa, in places in the global south that are essentially just accepting our garbage at this point. So there are lots of problems with the fashion industry. Fran has an amazing firsthand perspective on exactly what they look like and some great ideas for how to solve them. So stay tuned. It's a great interview. Before we get there, I just want to remind you my newsletter. I publish it twice a week, every Wednesday and every Sunday. If you're not already on the list, please go to heathrasella.com slash newsletter. You can sign up there for a free subscription. You will get not only the newsletter twice a week, you will also get notified of new podcast episodes. And if you like what I do here, if you're impressed with Fran's conversation today, if this is a voice that you have not heard on other podcasts, on other traditional media, help support this show. Sign up for a paying membership. You will not only help me do this amazing work here at this podcast, but you'll also get early access to every podcast episode. So heathrasella.com slash newsletter, free account, paid account, whatever you can do, however you can support. I really appreciate it. And I hope you'll appreciate Fran's conversation today. I learned so much from it, and I hope you will as well. All right, here it is, my conversation with Francisca Cajardo. 
I feel like uh, I want to talk about your work today, obviously, but I feel like so much of it is rooted in where you come from in Chile. So I'm wondering if you can just describe for people listening where it is that you come from and, you know, what the surroundings there are like. I'm from Iquique. Iquique is a city located in the north of Chile, placed in the Atacama Desert. Uh-huh. Iquique has like beach to the Pacific Ocean and desert at the same time. Oh, wow. It's the driest desert in the world. Yeah. Next to Iquique, if you go up the hill, there's um, this small city called Alto Hospicio. In the Alto Hospicio started like a favela. You know what I mean with that term? I don't know. What, what does that mean? Here we call it población or toma. That is basically when okay. you start like an illegal construction. Okay. You just gather things, you find whatever in the streets and build like your improvised house. Okay. But it means you don't have access to water. You have to like improvise your living. And eventually these sort of houses, they stop growing and eventually it becomes like a city. Okay, gotcha. So that's what I mean like with sort of favelas because it's like a known concept from these sort of houses in Brazil. Gotcha. So Alto Spicio started like that and now it has grown and it's like a proper city. At the entry in the south part, there's this new sort of favela that's been going on for a couple of years. And behind that, there's a hill that hides or used to hide the biggest landfill that we have in South America. Wow. Growing up here, like a part of our culture, as uh, people from the north of Chile, is that we grew up going to the American clothes, we call it. Okay. It's basically secondhand street markets. Because here in Iquique, we have the biggest port in the country. So basically everything that comes from the outside enters through Iquique. Gotcha. That means that we receive most of the clothes that come to the country and South America from this from this spot. Um, so there's a lot of commerce, there's a lot of economies built on secondhand markets, and most of these clothes come from North America. Yeah. When I interview someone from these markets, they told me that they prefer to buy bundles of clothes from people from North America because Europeans use their clothes more. Ah, interesting. So when the clothes from Europe arrive here, they're not in such a good state as the American clothes because Americans use less their clothes before they throw it away. Sure. Those uh, those clothes that are being imported, do you have any sense of like, are they coming from like Americans that think they're donating them to, you know, get used for charity or get sold in a thrift store or something? Or are they from retailers that have extra? Do you have any sense of sort of where the clothes are coming from? I think it's a bit of everything, uh-huh. but I know for a fact because I used to live in London. I lived in London for four years and a half. For the research they had there is that basically around only 20% of the clothes that people donate to the charity shops actually get sold in the charity shops. Wow. 80% of the clothes gets packed and shipped to countries like mine, Africa, etc. Gotcha. I don't know if the imports are like from dead stock or just donations. But I can say that the clothes that are in the markets and in the landfills, you can find Sara, Forever 21, H&M with tags. Wow. And you can find like in, like from corporate shirts of American uh, companies to rest in peace t-shirts from American families, like all sorts of things. Wow. 
And so there's these secondhand marketplaces, which are kind of the first stop, right? They get unloaded off these ships and then people can come and actually shop in the marketplaces. But then is it the clothes that go unsold in those markets that end up in this landfill? Like what's kind of the process, I guess, from how, how do the clothes end up in these landfills? So when the clothes enter to the port, you have categories of the quality of the clothes. Okay. So you receive bundles of first category that they're like the best quality of clothes. They are in the, uh, like the best shape. And those clothes, uh, people that sell uh, secondhand clothes from around the country, like stores, vintage stores, stuff like that, they shop these clothes. Okay. Then you have second and third category that they're like less and less quality. People here, they buy these bundles to sell in the street markets so they open the bundle, grab whatever they can use, and the rest, they just throw it away. I mean, that's how basically how it works. But then there's this category that is like an unnamed category, or basically you can call it garbage category, yeah. that the importers receive. Yeah. I still don't understand why we receive these clothes. Why is this garbage right. clothes entering to the port? Or what's the business they have behind? But they basically give away these clothes to whoever that wants to receive it. This is clothes that are stained, that they're like, you can still find things in a very good quality, but very small percentage. Okay. There's this lady, Manuela. She lived in one of like this favela housing type. And she started this business model that the importers offered her to just pay the transport of this garbage category bundles. And so she can take it. So she started where the landfill was. She started to open the bundles and people from the street markets were coming here and um, buying stuff from her. Then like 10 other families copied her business model. So more and more bundles of garbage clothes started to arriving to this place until it eventually became a landfill, um, the big landfill that everyone saw. But they're not the only responsible people. Because then people from the street markets, the things that they were not selling, uh, they were throwing it into the landfills or the importers, they were directly dumping it there wow. without the deal of Miss Manuela and the other people. So everyone kind of collaborated for this to happen. And it's also important to understand that the people that started this, they're sort of like victims of like, inequality they have like i don't know have much education they don't understand about environmental laws or like environmental consciousness etc so it's very common that they to get rid of the clothes they were just burning them oh wow and it's a common practice here in the north of people that live around in the periphery or at the beaches like far away they just burn the garbage yeah it's not much education about it of the environmental impact that that can cause or the environmental impact that the accumulation of these clothes can cause. Like, I would not blame these people at all. I think they're just trying to make a living sure. with whatever they can. Yeah. But it's the fact that so much garbage clothes arrives here. I think that's like the problem. And that's how it, like the clothes end up in the landfills. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to ask you about that because obviously this is the current situation that we're talking about. But like how much of your memory is of this system? Like is this something that's happened in the last five, ten years, or is this like 
your whole childhood. That's kind of how things have always been. I, I guess I'm wondering, have things ramped up? Have they gotten worse in your lifetime? Since I can remember, we have like this secondhand culture. I heard about the landfill about four or five years ago. A couple of years after I started with my upcycling brand, Yeah, everyone knew. Like a lot of people of the city knew about this landfill. My aunt used to go and pick up clothes there before. Yeah. It, it was known, but there was not much awareness of it. Right. I mean, it's interesting, too, because I think like here in the States, when we see the headlines about, you know, there's this world's largest clothing dump in Chile and it's something you can see from space. And, you know, these headlines come into our news occasionally. I always imagined prior to learning more about it that it was you know, the Chilean government maybe that that made a deal or maybe Western fashion brands that said, okay, we can buy this land, you know, and, and dump our things. Like, it's so interesting just kind of how, I don't know if haphazard is the right word for it. It, it grew up fairly organically, I guess. Like, it, as you say, it's just, it's it's a poor woman trying to make a living and then other families kind of copying her. And all of a sudden you have this this thing that spirals out of control, but it starts with kind of the overproduction of clothing from all these Western fashion brands that, just, I mean, that piece, certainly I can say I've seen ramp up in my lifetime from, you know, when I was a kid to now. Exactly. Like there has to be an understanding that it's a much more complex situation than just analyzing the beginning of the landfill, you know, yeah. uh, because of, of Luis Manuela. Miss Manuela didn't accumulate those 60,000 tons of clothes. Right. I could like point out that it's just the importers just throwing, using that as an excuse as well to just get rid of this garbage. Yeah. Of course, it's responsibility of many, many other participants of this story. Like, why is there no like um, laws or studies being implemented on how much garbage clothes enters to the country? Why is this landfill being allowed to grow so much? Yeah. And why is Chile has to receive the garbage from the global north? Sure. Why are we having to take care of responsibility of this? You go to the landfill and you find Levi's, you find well, all these like big retailers I mentioned, like Banana Republic, coach bags, even like Dolce Gabbana bags wow. buried, you know. Yeah. You find everything and it comes from everywhere. For you growing up in that environment, like I could imagine that it would be a big turnoff to think about clothing and to want to be associated with that industry. Like I'm very interested that you decided to go into fashion design and, you know, kind of take inspiration perhaps from seeing all this waste around you. Yeah. When did that bug come for you? When did you decide you wanted to go into fashion design? So at the beginning, I finished school when I was 16. Okay. I started university at 16. I was studying industrial and civil engineer. Uh-huh. And after one year, being so young, I realized that I didn't want to study something like that. I wanted to do something more creative. So yeah. because of my story with the street markets, I always had like a different way on how I dressed. And I always found that inspiring. So I decided to study fashion design, by th but studying that made me going to like a depressed state mm. because I started to understand that first, there's not much creativity for you to be a fashion designer in a retailer. Yeah. 
the university focus give big focus on that, like preparing designers to work in retail, not to be independent entrepreneurs and survive through that. Yeah. So to understand that there was no creativity, that you just need to understand and obey the numbers, that you are basically creating needs to people to just take their money, yeah. needs that they don't actually need, you know, and offer them products that they are just made from like exploiting earth and that then I'm going to end up in the landfills or in the street markets here. Right. So it just, every it didn't make sense. And I was in this like, I dropped out of engineer school to be a designer. Now this is the reality of the industry. Like, call right. it. When I finished, I did like a very anarchist thesis with my classmates. And after that, I decided that I didn't want it to be part of the problem. I wanted to be part of the solution. Yeah. So that's why I started to reusing or upcycling the clothes that I was picking up first from the street markets and eventually from the landfills for specific projects because you need to sanitize the clothes. It's, it's a process. You can just like grab clothes from the landfill and like say, I'm going to do a collection and I'm just going to like sell this for 200 quid, you know. Yeah. There's a process behind that. But if you buy clothes from the second-hand markets that are in a more clean state, so it becomes easier. But yeah, it was like very frustrating at the beginning. When I started doing this in Chile, it was still quite new. Mm-hmm. So I was able to become a referent or a pioneer or a person that was inspiring a new group of designers, an upcoming group of designers. And nowadays, like the upcycling community in Chile is so big. Yeah. And like the awareness of what the fashion industry does and how people prefer to remake or fix, repair, or teach others how to work with their what with what we already have. It's becoming more of a social norm every day. Yeah. It's being more accepted. People are changing their habits. So in that scenario, it gives a lot of hope. It's very, very nice to see. But the process to get there, it was up and down. Yeah. You know, like it doesn't make sense to be a fashion designer. There's so much clothes here that I'm seeing in the landfills and in the in the street markets. Like the street markets are so big, it's overwhelming. Yeah. I was like, why do we keep making more clothes? Right. It's stupid. Yeah. Why are we extracting natural resources from the earth to polluting the earth to process them, make a product that is gonna end up here? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So yeah, it was that was sort of like the pathway. I want to ask you, you, you said in your schooling, there was a focus where you felt kind of robbed creatively, that it wasn't a creative process going into traditional fashion design. Can you explain that a little more? Like, I, I can imagine, I, I think for a lot of people, they're surprised by how many industries, I guess, are driven by numbers and by, you know, just demographic information and things like that, that they say, okay, we know this about our customers. We think they want this. I guess everybody's trying to work within these kind of narrow definitions of like, here's what we want to produce. Is that kind of what you're saying? Like, that's what you ran up against in terms of the fashion industry as well. Yes. I mean, like when I went to study, I wanted to be a creative, but the reality of the fashion industry here in Chile is that if you are an independent designer, you're going to struggle much more than if you work in retail. Gotcha. And, of course, the retailers offer better salary. So the university where I was, the last three years, 
they focused mainly on building uh, designers that they're going to work in retail. Gotcha. But that's like basically just copying like the high designer in the in the retail. What's she going to do? She's going to go to Europe, see the fashion shows, and she's going to go to China. She's going to take pictures or bring samples of what this, this clothes is, the new trends, whatever, from cheap retailers. She's going to bring them to Chile. She's going to make a technical, like the tech pack. Yeah, okay. Um, the design. And basically, she's going to copy that same design, move the buttons two centimeters, <laughs> okay, and that's it. And, yeah. and make it send it to, um, to be manufactured in China for thousands. Gotcha. Or now Bangladesh, uh, Pakistan, you know. Yeah. So I didn't want it to be a fashion designer to do that. It's, and also, like, if you go and travel, like, you just, it's, it's not like you travel to see the city, you know. It's just, uh, when I saw that that was going to be my future, I just didn't want it to work like that. So I decided to be an independent designer, and then I saw the struggle, but I just had more peace within myself. Yeah. But in that moment, in that, like, young period of my career, I was just very against the retail. Yeah. Today, I understand that you need to collaborate work together you know change it from within etc but at those times i was like retail should die and like blah blah yeah but yes to understand the process is it makes a whole different thing yeah no yeah i'm sure and and seeing it you know in your backyard growing up too i think that that's different than you know me looking at it on a website or something like that um I want to talk to you just sort of about your process as well. Um, can you describe what you call it upcycling? And I think you also referred to it as super recycling. Like what do those terms mean? And, and what does your process look like artistically? So upcycling is in English. Supra reciclaje is the decolonized word of upcycling. Okay, gotcha. So we are here in Chile, in Chile we are supra recicladores. Okay. So upcycling means to grab something and give it a new life, but without downgrading it to the fiber or to, or to the original raw material. Gotcha. I mean, it's adding new value, but without that energy use that it requires to, I don't know, shred the, the t-shirts into fibers or melt the, the plastic bottles into pellets yep. and make new fabric, yeah. you know? It's, it's not it's a reusing, virgin fiber. Re yeah, gotcha, yeah. Exactly, it's reusing a material. My process works inverted that the classic process to make clothes in the industry. So normally what you do, you analyze the trends from the market, from this trend company, etc. Based on that, you have your concept, you do your sketches of what you want to design from the ego mind of the designer. Okay. From that, you go and select your fabrics, you develop your patterns of clothes, they're your samples. And after that, that is everything is approved, you go and send to manufacture outside. As an upcycler, you work with what you have. You don't have like meters of fabric. Yeah. You know, if you work with, with reusing clothes, you have a defined body shape. Yeah. So you need to adapt yourself to the materials. Also, you don't have a hundred of the same t-shirts. Right. You yeah. maybe find one or two or three. So my process work the opposite. I have, for example, let's say I go to a reseller in the street markets that sells only sports clothes. Yeah. So I'm going to go there and buy, for example, a bunch of T-shirts that in the moment 
I'm going to create a color palette or they're going to somehow have a composition that I like. Yeah. I'll take this home, I'll analyze them, I'll create a story. And based from that, I'm going to start playing around with the garments to see what they can become. And at that point, you might not even have a, like a, an idea of like, I want to make a jacket today or a shirt. Like you're literally just, I like this exactly. purple, I like this red. Those play nicely together and then kind of, okay, interesting. Yes. At the beginning, it was like that. Now I can like see, it can it happens more often that I can see something and I know exactly what I would like to transform. But that's because I have like the years of experience. At the beginning, it was like way more experimental. Sure. It was very fun. So you could just, I was just jumping on the hills of clothes and like just grabbing whatever and like how it looked together and then yeah. taking them back home and I'm picking them and then playing around with the pieces and creating something. Nice. So that's why I say it works inverted. You have to adapt to the material. You can, And that's how you work from the eco mind of the designer, uh-huh. not the ego mind of I'm going to do what I want. It's yeah. what I'm going to do what I can do with what I have. Interesting. And that gives you, like, every piece is one of a kind then at that point. You can't mass produce because your raw materials are also unique. Yes. So that's the pros and cons. When you start, you have to make one of a kind because you are understanding your reconstruction process. There's no, I think there's one school in New York about upcycling, but uh, there's no much material or education, educative material on how to reconstruct clothes okay. and make it massive, yeah. you know? So each process of each upcycler is unique. Because of my process that I work with reconstruction, what I mean with that is that I take apart the complete garment and I replace the patterns in the way that I like, okay. I have been able to reciprocate one design. So for example, if you give me five coats, I can make you five pair of trousers in different sizes. Okay. And I just got approved an invention patent. Uh, we're going uh, to go forward with the international patent application now. Oh, wow. Uh, that is basically like clothes reconstruction system that has industrial applications and that integrates artificial intelligence. Interesting. So basically, this would allow to big retailers to be able to manufacture more massively their dead stock or it could like impulse or motivate charity shops to collect and categorize by brands, by sizes, or it can align very well with the digital passport that you can hear about now in like what implementations the fashion industry should have. Okay. For example, digital passports that have all the information of the brand, where the materials were sourced, the sizes, the weight, the measurements, everything. Gotcha. So if you have that, then it's easier to understand and analyze what the system that I'm trying to push can do. For example, you have 100 uh, pair of T-shirts. So the system will tell you, okay, these T-shirts can become this dress in this size, these uh, two-piece outfits in this size, this bodysuit in this size. You choose what you want to do, and then it teaches you or shows you how to do it. But the cons of that is that the industry is still not adapted for that. It has more cost to recover the clothes and teach the manufacturers these new techniques of reconstruction. Yeah. But with the laws that are being implemented, hopefully from now to three years, this is something that they will have to do. Wow. And so just so I understand it, like let's say H&M, for example, manufactures, I don't know, 20,000 of a particular T-shirt. 
you're saying that basically there's a way to say, okay, when that t-shirt comes back, we know it's made of this. We know it's cut out of this. We know, you know, these are the dimensions of it and things. We can turn it into this other thing then. Yes. When I buy that new shirt from H&M, if I'm going to return it to them a year later, they already can have a plan for it then and essentially resell it as Ideally. something else. Yeah, okay. Ideally. Or you can, or, so it's always like you have the three R's that is repair, reuse, recycle. Uh-huh. It's like basically you always have to give the opportunity for the garment to be used without having to transform it, yeah. then reusing it or repurposing it, and at the end, recycling it. Yeah. So it would be ideal that the brands could offer all of these solutions. You know, for example, maybe if the T-shirt you use is quite worn yeah. or the material they use to make it is not as good, then maybe it will have to go through our recycling process. But if you bought like a polyester pair of trousers that you don't want to wear anymore, but they're still in good shape, maybe we can repurpose it into a jacket, you yeah. know, or into a backpack, etc. So ideally, the system that I want to push is also zero waste. It aims to repurpose from 95% to 100% of the garments. We wow. have like case studies. Uh, it's been used by other designers, etc. So and I've been testing it with my students as well. Right. So... That it works, it works. How can we scale it? That's like the process that we're working on and how can we use artificial intelligence to feed the machine so the machine can make all the calculations by itself so we don't have to do a thousand transformations and a thousand steps by steps. So that's like the goal. Right now we're looking for funds. So yeah. Fingers crossed, right. No, and I mean, that's kind of the interesting thing I think is that just in looking at your portfolio and things like your work, it's art, right? But it's also very singular. Like it's an artistic piece that there's one of in the world. In order to get those, I either need to hire you to make that or I need to have the skill myself to deconstruct clothes and make them into something else. What you're basically saying is take that notion. It might not be a beautiful art piece when it's done, but it's going to be reused and it's going to have another life. Like you can kind of have both, right? There there can be the beautiful high-end yeah. like runway stuff and there can be the exactly. average stuff that anyone can get at a, at a department store. Exactly. So me as a creative designer, I'm always going to be making like crazy, unique art sort of pieces. Yeah. But me as a problem designer or a sustainable designer, I'm trying to build the bridge between upcycling and mass production. Not because I want upcycling to be mass-produced, yeah. but because it's a solution that maybe is the missing step between where we are now and between the future of fashion that should be biomaterials. Yeah. So for us to get there, we need like the middle step. And we have a lot of garbage. Right. And companies are not taking responsibility on their, the end of life of their products. Right. So... It's one thing is going to always be the art, the inspiration, etc. And the other is actually working and collaborating with the companies to present them a solution that if they want to invest in implementing it, it's going to be very beneficial because they are going to save up up to 60% of the CO2 emissions of the that you produce in the upstream production. Let that being said, materials, uh, the extraction of raw materials, the chemical process of these materials. Sure. And not the manufacturing process, but the cutting of the patterns, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, it is a very carbon intensive 
process. I mean, even just, I mean, you're talking about like manufacturing things in China or in Bangladesh, shipping them to the global north, to Europe, to North America, and then this end of life where they end up in Chile or they end up in Africa, like just the emissions on shipping these garments around the world is kind of crazy. And that doesn't account for the raw materials or the manufacturing or, you know, any of those pieces. Like, I I love the idea that you're talking about here of just a way to keep it circular and kind of keep that reuse chain going. I wonder if you have thoughts on sort of addressing the bigger problem too of just how much fashion we are producing, how much people are consuming. Like, what are your thoughts on just how much how much clothes we buy now and how much is made in the world? I think it's like a toxic relationship. Mm. <laughs> yeah. We the the in the consumers they consume too much, they expect a lot and the producers produce a lot and like they feed on each other and right. it's just there needs to be consumer education from like a economic perspective, environmental perspective, holistic spiritual perspective or like why are we buying so much? Yeah. Why do we need so much clothes? Why are you going to H&M, for example, and buying like 10 pieces of clothing, three t-shirts of the different colors and this? Then you arrive to your house, you barely even open the bag, and then you wore, you wear two of them and the rest charity shops or giving them away or throwing to them to the bin. Yeah. Uh, why? Because it costs me like two, three dollars. Yeah. Why do we act like that? What's right. what we're trying to feel? And that goes more aligned with how immersed we are in the system. Yeah. You know, how immersed we are with like social media, with like uh, what we want to represent, the sense of belongings with other people. It's like a very psychological aspect of the consumer right. that needs to be addressed. We need to be able to create empathy, be able to cre- to inspire them and make them feel empowered that they can actually like make change. Right. We can be change makers, etc. But also, like, making, asking those questions, like, the more you think that you want to belong to something, the more you become a clone instead of, like, finding your own authenticity, identity through the clothes you wear. It can be a protest, you know, it can be an ideal, you know, instead of building, you can build, like, your own identity through your wardrobe, you can feel more aligned with yourself instead of, like, just buying what everyone else is, is, is buying. Yeah. And in terms of the industry, it's just pursues too much profit. Yeah, It's just been like that for so many years. And we're like in the crisis point that it just, it, you can't, it should even, even be illegal to be as a, a company that just pursues profit. Yeah. You know, it should be illegal that H&M exists. Like yeah. why do, why do governments allow companies to be so big? Yeah. Like why you as a brand want to be so big? Right. You know, there's, Clothes to dress like 10 generations of, of people. Yeah. There's no necessity for such big companies. And of course, like we can go even more anarchist in the sense of like, ah, oh, governments are bought and like they're being controlled, whatever. I don't want to go into that <laughs> subject. But there should be some sort of legislations or laws that deal with this identity or the purposes of the brand. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's, it's what we were talking about with Miss Manuela and these clothing dumps of like, it's indicative of a larger problem. And the question is, where do you start to point the finger? Like who gets the blame in that case? Right. Because everybody's guilty 
and kind of because of that nobody's fully guilty right like it's it's hard to say is it the consumer's mm-hmm. problem is it the industry's problem like it's everybody's problem right exactly um i want to ask uh you've also taught upcycling workshops and taught people how to go through this process like when you're working with students what is their reaction to this process and like what have you learned from from working with others in this space oh it's amazing i think it's what has made me be at peace with my work. Uh-huh. You know, I was not feeling fulfilled just by selling clothes, yeah. upcycled clothes. It, I felt like I was still being part of the same wheel, you know. Mm. But when I, I dared myself to start a teaching, because it, it was a challenge. Yeah. Because I got, in a very short time, my brand got a lot of recognition, like a country level. Uh-huh. So people started actually asking me, if I taught this and I was like feeling very insecure, but then I just dare myself to do my first workshop with one of my colleagues. We yeah. did like a collaborative workshop. And after that I started doing my own workshops. It has just been the most beautiful experience just to be able to not just inspire people, but to help them, give them a tool for them to be able to experience this in first person to teach them that look, this t-shirt you can deconstruct it and like it can be this or it can be that it can be that and like that process that that number of thoughts that chain of thoughts yeah helps them to think of that not just with clothes but with everything right so it changes the perspective of how they think they see things they see products they just eventually they stop buying new clothes and a lot of my students have started their own brands now they're studying design they're making a living out of it. And wow. I always receive these very nice messages of like, thank you for this, or like, you have made such a big impact, etc. And I just very, I just love so much how the people that take my workshops interpret my methods, because me as a teacher, I don't want them to make my designs. Right. You know, my designs are my designs. I, yeah. I don't try to be patronizing with that. I just try to give them hints, methodologies, or just try to analyze their style or where do they want to go or their references so I can help them to get there in technique, in design tools, etc. Yeah. So it's just very nice to see how they come up with their own ideas, how they get there. And I've had students from all around the world. I went to the States as the YLA program, the Young Leaders of the Americas product okay. program. Yeah. So I was able to teach there in the sewing labs in Kansas City. And I taught there to a group of ladies, but they had a lot of skills sewing. Uh-huh. You know, it's the sewing lab, so sure, they, yeah, they yeah. knew how to sew very, very well. So it was very cool to see how experts in sewing were able to interpret these techniques that I was giving them. When I was doing workshops in London, I worked with a lot of artists that they had nothing to do with sewing or clothes. Yeah. Painters, uh, tattoo artists, computer sciences neuroscientific people, 3D designers. So they didn't know how to sew. And at the end, they end up with this very high-end sort of unique design. Yeah. Then they start buying their own sewing machines. It's just like, it's. I think that I have a passion for being a teacher. That's great. It's the best thing I could do at the moment. Yeah, no, I love that. And I can imagine just as you're saying, like you don't want your students to do your designs. Just the creativity seeing that reflected back to you. And just, I'm, I'm sure there are students that have done things that you wouldn't have thought of or just a different approach to it. And, you know, 
it makes you think about your own work differently, I'm sure, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yes, and also to let go of that thought of that if you are a designer, you have to be the best and blah, right. blah. To being a facilitator is way better. Like, yeah. I just love seeing how there's so many talents that they just need a little push or they just need like a little bit of empowerment to become that. And I'm yeah. just proud of being able to help in that step. Yeah. You know, it's very gratifying. I don't know, fulfilling is a word, I think. Yeah, gratifying. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny because I think of it like I'm not somebody who sews or knits or like I want to. Uh, I, I always, I watch people like you and I say, boy, I need to learn <laughs> how to do that. Um, but for me, it's, it's, uh, it's food. Like I've learned to cook for myself and I feel like it's similar in that like we're so used to these days letting companies do things for us, whether that's cooking our food or making our clothes or making our furniture or, you know, whatever it is, we forget that there's something very human about using our hands and just like the intelligence in our hands and being able to make things. And like, once you tap into that, as you say, it's just like, it kind of explodes from there and you're like, oh yeah, now that I know how to, how to deconstruct a shirt, maybe I should build a table or, you know, whatever it is. And like, I don't know, I, I feel that kinship from the food standpoint. Yeah. Exactly. Just kind of wrapping it all up, I guess. What advice do you have for consumers just like in the fashion choices that they're making when they're going to a store, they're picking things out? What do you want them thinking about in terms of either how it's going to be used or where it's going to end up at the end of its life or, you know, any of that? Well, first, maybe look at the tag, see where it was made. Yeah. Think of the people that was making this see the composition, you know, think of like all the hands that have touched this shirt to arrive to you. Then maybe think that you're going to marry this shirt. So this shirt that you're buying, it has to be something that you're going to wear for life, you know? And in that sense, start thinking of what is you, you know, what do you want to say with this shirt? What's your message? I think that like it goes something along that path, like, your wardrobe, as everything that you do, speaks for you. Mm. You know, it speaks about your philosophy, about the way you understand life. Every action you do in your everyday. Maybe it's, you have to choose your battles, but clothes, it's a, it's a good battle that you can choose. You don't really need to, like, repurpose or learn how to sew. If you have the time and you have the motivation, great. You can always, like go to the goodwill, you can always like do a swap with friends, etc. You can see the clothes that your grandma had from, from like the 60s and get like specific pieces. I stopped buying retail clothes like five, six years ago. Yeah. And today, nowadays, I just dress with clothes that people give gives me. I yeah. hardly buy uh, in the second hand because yeah. I used to have so much clothes for upcycling and I've been moving so much and I can't travel with those materials. So yeah. I just travel with specific materials and my clothes, I just, clothes that people give me in the way. Which is, it's so interesting because like the way you express yourself is through fashion and fashion design. And I would think it would be the complete opposite that you would have, you know, thousands of pieces of clothing, but that it's not that you don't care, but it's like, it, it's not precious to you, I guess. Like you, you have what you have and you're like, it is what it is. That's interesting. Exactly. Like as it goes, it comes, you know, as it comes, it goes. So 
And I also like to play around with that same thought that because I'm a fashion designer, people expect me to dress like this or like be. Yeah. But I can say that I'm a pretty good like mathematician genius and fashion genius. And you can judge me just by what I'm wearing and you're going to be wrong. <laughs> you know, like yeah. my clothes is saying more than what you can just read at the first sign. And I also make that mistake. Sometimes there's people that I misjudge for because of what they're wearing, because I have a different perspective on how you should dress. But then they end up being also like very like cool people with a lot of identity, just that they choose to dress maybe in a certain way. So it's a mind game. But yeah, in, in those terms, I would just advise to people to choose wisely, think that you're going to be with that clothes for a long time. The pieces that I have in my wardrobe, the ones that I travel all the time are the pieces that I have gathered from my designer friends yeah, or pieces that have just too much value. I have like, I don't know, let, let's say 10 to 15 items that I'm not going to get rid of and that I have for like years and years. Yeah, But the rest of the clothes, I just give them to my friends. I just make myself a design. I'm like, you want, you like, okay, just keep it, you know, and then I just make a new one if I want or need to. And also my friends, because they travel a lot, they donate me a lot of clothes. So I just, there's so much clothes to pick from, you know, it's overwhelming. I think I sort of gave up on on that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Francisca Gajardo there. What'd you think? I hope you will check out her work. Yang is her brand, Y-A-N-G. She's on Instagram. She posts amazing, amazing stuff. I saw one of her pieces the other day and I was saying to her, like, she should be a costume designer or a costume designer for Broadway or a film or something should hook up with her because her work would look so cool. Like, imagine Hamilton with reused costumes. (laughs) I think it would be so cool. And I would love to see that. And I would also love to see what she was talking about there of just like regular mall brands having reuse as a part of their business model as well. So check out Fran's work. Thank you, Fran, for being here. And a reminder, you can check out my newsletter as well, where I I do write about fashion a fair amount, surprisingly, heathrasella.com slash newsletter. And again, if you'd like to support this podcast, please upgrade to a paying membership. It really means a lot to me, and it helps me continue the work that I do here to bring you this show every two weeks. I'm at Heath Rosella on social media. Please give me a follow over there. Let's connect. And please subscribe, rate, do all the stuff that you do in this podcast app. Leave a review. It means a lot to me. I will talk to you in two weeks. Until then, stay safe. <laughs>